0: live juicy inside scoop from the tastemakers newsmakers bread bakers drink shakers spoon lickers clam diggers farms foodies and friends of the food and beverage magazine world here are your hosts jennifer english and michael politz
1: whether you are thinking about becoming a restaurateur or you are already in the business michael politz has written a must read the Food and Beverage Magazine's Guide to Restaurant Success. Pick up your copy today at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Books A Million, or wherever fine
2: books are sold.
3: Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to F&B Magazine Live. I'm Jennifer English, and I am here with my esteemed colleague, the publisher of Food and Beverage Magazine, Michael Politz. Hello, Michael.
0: Well, hello, Jennifer. How are you today?
3: I'm very delighted to be here with you. Do you know what a fun show we have today?
0: I want you to tell us. And I know there's people backstage waiting for us.
3: We have people in the green room waiting to come on with us who are in the category of heroes. We're focusing on heroes today. And we're focusing on industry heroes. People who in the food and beverage industry are heroes during this time. Yes, we have heroes as first responders And we have heroes in the medical profession and the heroes in the stores that are helping us keep our grocery shelves and grocery carts and kitchens all stocked up. They're heroes. But in the food and beverage world, there are also heroes, in part because they're helping us honor the heroes that are out there that we've just named. And we've got a slate full of guests today who are really extraordinary in what they're doing because they're at the top of their game. They're, they're kind of living the future of food and beverage now, and we're doing so before this whole pandemic hit. And so what we're getting is a glimpse at what the future of food and beverage might look like because of these heroes. We've got a pharmacist on with us today. Isn't that cool? Have you ever had a pharmacist on the show before?
0: Is it a pharmacist with an F?
3: With an F. F-A-R-M. As like in your first medicine. Yeah. Food is our first medicine firm. We're going to take you to one of my favorite places, the, one of the best lodges in the country. Uh, we're going to take you to my first summer vacation spot. When I was a kid, we went to Spring Lake, New Jersey on the Jersey Shore before the Jersey Shore became the Jersey Shore. And Spring Lake became what it is today. Back in the old days, it was the home of big, beautiful, magnificent Grand Dam hotels like the Monmouth and the Essex and the Sussex. Well, we're going to go there because that's where the, the sort of marriage, where the meeting of sand, soil and sea come together to give you the best seafood, the best ingredients. And it's places like that all over the world that our first guests travel to as, you know, really intrepid, passionate surfers. And they discovered a food that they've brought to life that we're going to share today. So we got a lot to do and a lot to, to squeeze into a short amount of time, and I don't want to waste another minute.
0: Well how right, you- who are we bringing on?
3: Well, first of all, how are you doing in Las Vegas?
0: Well, we're doing great. It's beautiful here. It's sunny and 90. How could you go wrong? Kids are in the pool. I'm working. Everybody's having fun. I get to look at you three days a week, and I love it.
3: So you know who's on with us first. We're going to go to Playa Have you Have you been to a Playa Bulls location?
0: No, I don't even know where there is one. Let's bring them in and talk about it. What do you think? No. Look. And they can tell us.
3: And before we do that, will you read our tag? Because everybody needs to know who we are and what we're doing.
0: Oh, Michael Pollitz, publisher of Food and Beverage magazine. And James Beard, award-winning journalist. May I say James Beard, award-winning journalist one more time? James we'll Beard. To- Award. I do ha- I always have to. I always have to give credit where credit is. James Beard. Here we go. James Beard, award-winning journalist. Jennifer English. Absolutely fabulous. There we go. And I'm just the little guy that owns a magazine and tries to pretend that I know how to do technology. There you
3: go. Well, you're doing awesome. We've kept our guests waiting long enough, though, while we sorted out all the bells and whistles. But through, we want to say thanks to our friends who were helping us launch this. Gino, Michael, as far as I know, we're the only national show for the hospitality industry that gathers all our friends in the business together to talk about what's going on on your end, sharing our best practices and survival techniques, what we're actually going through, what we're doing, and how we're doing it. And Well, I just well guess- you know, Jennifer,
0: I don't like to brag. However, since <laughs> you've started it, I'm going to brag. Of course we're the only ones because nobody, nobody has more readers than Food and Beverage Magazine does in the trade. And actually, I believe that you can add all of their readers up combined, and I still have more.
3: I, I bet I that's true.
0: And that's why Abby and Rob are on today from Playa so, Bowls.
3: So, so Abby Taylor and Rob Julian are here with the uh, Playa Bowls. Hello, you guys. Hello. Hey guys, how are you?
0: Bringing
3: now let's guys, see what's, what's Rob doing? doing.
0: Hold on. What is Rob? What, what is this, Rob?
3: Oh my god, is that a is my, that
1: a Boston? Is Scott
0: here. Better. <laughs> he's looking
1: at the ocean right now.
3: Is is that a Brindle Boston?
1: Yeah, yeah, Brindle Boston.
3: Oh my god, I'm a Brindle Boston too.
0: Yeah, he's he's unbelievable. I
3: have a black Boston. Oh, my gosh, you guys, that's so cute. <laughs> oh,
0: there goes Abby, finding <laughs> her black Boston.
3: So, you guys, I'm originally from Boston, but I spent my first summers at the Jersey Shore. It's a magical place. Tell everybody about where you're calling in from, where you are
4: where you are right now. Go ahead, Ab. I'm in Bradley Beach, New Jersey.
1: I am right down the road, actually above our first pliables that ever started in Belmar, New Jersey, which is the next time over or from Spring Lake, where Jennifer was just referring to.
3: You guys, I love where you're at. Will you talk a little bit about the magic of the Jersey Shore that I think kind of got a bum rap from MTV and the publicity that that all brought? The real Jersey Shore is the kind of place that can give rise to the kinds of business that you started at Plyable. Talk about the place and how important where you are and where you started is to the Plyable brand.
1: Yeah, I mean, Jennifer, I mean, the, the Jersey Shore, it, it's hard to wrap up in a, you know, five-minute meeting with you guys and explain how special the place of the Jersey Shore is. Abby and I both grew up here. Um, the community is just great, obviously, after Hurricane Sandy, the community you know, riled up against, you know, behind the businesses to rebuild everything. I mean, we grew up surfing the Jersey Shore, um, we were, you know, I grew up in Seaside Heights, Tom's River, which had the Seaside Heights boardwalk with all the games up there, Lucky Leos, um, Abby grew up in. You know, growing up in Ocean Township with Asbury Park here. Just such a deep-rooted history for New Jersey. I mean, you've got a great surf culture here. Um, The people are just great. It's hard to explain. People from New York and Pennsylvania, they always come here during the summertime. Um, We welcome them with open arms. They're part of our commerce. And, you know, we're we're just proud to say that, you know, we are the Jersey Shore. We're Jersey Strong.
3: Abby, talk a little bit about how being a surfer ties you into a family around the world that allowed you to travel around the world world to other surf cities. And what happened
4: and what you saw there when you got there? Yeah, so I've grown up surfing my whole life. I've lived by the beach and um I just am so passionate about it and it's really become a big part of my life and it has been for a really long time as long as I can remember and you know being a surfer I think that you are in this like little subculture especially here at the Jersey Shore of all these people that are just artistic and Athletic and you know like to be outside and are a little bit outdoorsy and being able to go around and travel all the spots I had dreamed of surfing my whole life and then on um, some of those trips having acai which is our main product um, it really inspired this brand acai has
3: gotten a lot of publicity as a superfood help us understand what acai
4: is so just like you said acai is a superfruit from the Amazon in Brazil. Um, it's packed with antioxidants. Um, it's super good for you. It's actually really low in sugar, and basically, um it's like a blueberry kind of. And you eat the skin that's like around the seed of like a blueberry, and it's just packed with nutrients. And that's our main thing, and that's really what put us on the map. I feel like we single-handedly kind of explained to the Jersey Shore what acai was. Right. Yeah. And kind of jumping on to Abby, I mean, it
1: came from Brazil, as like she said, the rainforest, and you know, it started a you know surf culture in California, Hawaii. It's been around for a while, and you know, Abby and I saw a need for this, you know, exotic, awesome superfruit to come to the Jersey Shore, and that's how we, you know, we got it over here. So that's, you know, I say.
3: What did you discover when you went to places to surf like Brazil? What, what, um, what? How did you discover the the bowls that became your business? You know, Abby and I
1: traveled to a lot of different places, like Nicaragua, Puerto Rico, Costa Rica, and there's all these cool little cafes that. They all had acai bowls. They had different exotic fruits. I mean, everywhere, you know, the mangoes growing off the trees and everything was just so lush and fresh there. But it was all done in a different style in every country we went to. It wasn't like one specific style. So I think that's what gave Abby and I the idea that when we came to Jersey, you know, the first business plan that we wrote together was you know, you come to the Jersey Shore, you've got corn dogs, you've got cheesesteaks, you've got Zeppelins. Um, but you know, you're going to the beach, you know, with your bathing suit and we want to bring something healthy to the Jersey shore. So, you know, bells went off in our head when we got back from our surf trips going, why are there not acai bowls or healthy? I mean, we'd stay out late, you know, going to dinners and drinking a little bit, wake up in the morning to go surfing, eat one of these acai bowls and it would just fuel us for the entire day. So it was something that we knew, you know, not only from a business perspective, but for Abby and I have a special to bring back to our people and give them a little taste of something exotic and something healthy.
4: There was a need for something in this genre, definitely, I think be sure. So so tell us what a Pliables
3: restaurant looks like. Tell us what the first one looked like, and how did you get to, in such a short amount of time, 84 restaurants and stores around the country?
1: Can I start, and then you'll kind of finish up how the store is where they've gotten to right now. Um, Again, I'm sitting above the pizzeria that's next to the first Pliables, and you know, the, the first pliables was actually it was called Belmar Fitness for the past 10 or 15 years. This awesome guy, Joel, owned it. He got a little sick. He moved down to Florida. And, you know, it was this run down ratty gym after Hurricane Sandy. And oh, the, yeah. the new owner came to Abby and I and he was a friend of ours, you know, from town. And he said, listen, kids, he goes, you're always outside with this little cart on the side of the road. Every time it rains, I see you packing everything in, running upstairs. I see Rob running around, throwing things. He's upset because it's raining. Because why don't you guys take the building for the rest of the summer? He goes, I won't charge you any rent. And me and Abby are like, yeah, right on, let's do it. And we went into this Belmar fitness gym. And I'm not exaggerating. We walked in, there were squirrels running across the ceiling. There was gym, uh, gym equipment from 1925 in there, dirty carpets. Every copper pipe in that building was broken. And mm-hmm. we had 17 days to get this up and running as pliables um, for, I believe it was 4th of July weekend. So Needless to say, didn't sleep very much that, uh, that those 17 days. I had all my friends who were contractors. The town rallied around us, the mayor, uh, the building department. They, they helped us out in any way they could after Hurricane Sandy. And long story short, we opened up our first balls on 4th of July. That was wow. 8 o'clock in the morning, and we had a line down the road. I mean, we just, and Abby and I put our heart and soul into it. She was painting the walls. I was going around to, like, flea markets and antique shops and getting all these cool things for the walls. and. kind of that's where the whole entire design started. We want to mimic it after Costa Rica, Puerto Rico. We have the tin ceiling, the reclaimed wood. We want it to be beachy. Um, And and I guess Abby can kind of elaborate on, you know, the evolution of where our stores are right now.
4: Yeah, we really want to create a fun experience in the stores. There's a lot to look at. It feels super beachy. There's really cool artwork, a lot of rattan and natural colors, you know, like reclaimed wood, reclaimed things all in the store. So starting from that first location, we've really evolved a lot. It's kind of just like, Next level, but that same feel. Like you can always tell it's pliables, but they're all a little bit unique. Cool, and
3: they they nutritionalize you the way the athletic surfers that live outside, that live in the ocean, that that love the ocean expect and and respect their own bodies by fueling them with. Talk a little bit about how surfers have a really kind of different philosophy about living and and, and eating than you might then you might realize. Unless you're a surfer and part of that culture, you don't really get just how holistic a lot of the people in that culture are.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's just a deep connection with nature and the ocean. I mean, everywhere you go, Costa Rica, Nicaragua, like you keep on mentioning, you're out in the middle of the jungle. You've got mango trees. You're out in the ocean where there's fish out there with you. And You know, similar to, like, Pokey, if nobody's familiar with Pokey. I mean, it's fresh fish from Hawaii that's cut that we serve at some of our stores. And, you know, us, I I think to answer your question, it's just, you know, these surfers have a deep connection with, you know, fresh. I guess the word is just fresh. You know, we want to have something fresh in our bodies because we're so accustomed to it being out in nature. And I think this kind of correlates to that kind of freshness that we're all looking for.
3: How are you guys surviving the pandemic? Are you doing a lot of to go? Because one of the things I wanted to talk about is these plywall restaurants, Michael, they're like like an edible Starbucks. They're locations that become community gathering places, and people hang out there, and they do their homework there, and they they get on the computer, and they, they hang out with their friends. They're really becoming like piazzas, public spaces for surfers. But you don't have to be a surfer to go there.
0: So you're saying are they, what, curbside service? Well, right well, now with
3: the pandemic, they are, but before the pandemic, these were restaurants where people, they were like real community centers.
0: Well, yeah. I want to know about the growth, Abby, truthfully, before we get to that, Jennifer, if you don't mind, yeah. I want to hear how you turned it from one into 84. I think that's impressive. Um, very it's, it's huge. I want to hear the steps that you took to do that because there's a lot of people that that want to grow their businesses but don't know how. Um, so, so let me hear from two young people that, that understand how to do that.
4: Yeah. So basically we started out, you know, just with our Belmar location, and then we sort of started branching out to places on the Jersey Shore that we knew would do well. We knew it did well by the beaches, right? So we naturally just sort of expanded that way pretty organically, um, then we started to realize that we needed a strong team below us because we couldn't be everywhere. And you know, that's a hard part of expanding is kind of letting go of that control because there's so many places where you can't be everywhere at once. Right. So we built a really, really strong team underneath us. And from that point, it allowed us to start to franchise. And then it allowed us to start to kind of build like a better system, a better process was everything that we didn't really have in the beginning. We sort of did a little bit backwards, but I'm sure Rob can add to that.
1: Yeah. I mean, everything you said is dead on. I mean, you know, I always, I always, I always use the word tenacity. I mean, I think that's what Abby and I had back in the day. We still have a lot of it. And, you know, I was just relentless in the very beginning. I mean, we never gave up. I mean, we had a little car on the side of the road. I gave the story before about, you know, starting you know our first Bible's in a rundown gym. And from there we saw something developing and Abby said that we were focusing on beach town. So I would drive up and down to similar pizzerias that had a similar patio that maybe we can start replicating what we were doing um and it was hard it was a bear at first i mean we got a lot of no's and you hear this cliche phrase we never take no for an answer in business and we didn't do that and we just kept going and going and going and you know the evolution we had a you know we came to the crossroads going how are we going to expand further after our first or five or six stores you know a corporate standpoint um and long and behold you know franchising this word popped up in and Abby's head, and, full transparency we were completely against franchising the very beginning me and abby heard that word and you know being the surfers that were around the world and we were just like no that's so mainstream commercial we hear you know when people think of franchise they think burger king mcdonald's not to say that's negative but we thought you know we, we weren't righteous about it but we just didn't think that was our path and we had a partner at the time who kind of showed us you know enlightened us a little bit you know he was a little bit business savvy um and understood that you know these partners that we brought on as franchisees, how important they are to our organization. They brought a, you know, capital to actually build the stores out. They also have the tenacity and love for our brand as well. Um, Abby and I handpicked every single one of them since day one. And you know, I, I guess to answer your question, you know, short answer is just you know, we surround ourselves with the people that love our brand as much as we do. And I think that's what's been you know our driving success factor. Um, you know, passion, drive, and
3: tenacity. Talk a little bit for us, uh, if you would, please, about how you're surviving the pandemic.
1: Oof. <laughs> um, for me, are personally, I mean, I mean
3: are, you, are, you, are you doing to go?
1: Yeah. I mean, we, we, we've had to evolve since day one. I mean, just like this country, when this pandemic first hit, it was, what is going on? What is this? Nobody really knew the answer. All the way to the top at the White House, down to government, you know, local officials, municipalities. Nobody knew what to do do and when we first got hit with this you know we were like how are we going to survive i mean it was first panic and then it was okay reassess the situation stay calm you know franchisees were demanding questions you know answers from us we didn't have the answers so we just had to pump the brakes a little bit and say every give us some time to evaluate the situation you know we're a family we will take care of you we love you same thing for our customers and our employees you know let me back up our franchisees our customers and our employees were all demanding answers immediately and we didn't have them so for a you know a young two young business owners to not go through this before, it, it took patience and you know we had a great team that surrounded us from my vice our vice president our CFO and we just devised a plan and we just went with it every single week we didn't think too long term you know I know a lot of you know restaurants right now are thinking six months to a year to sixteen months I'll be honest with you I, I think we're focusing more on the short term right now and not focusing so heavily on down the road I mean for us it's just getting through this right now. Uh, Michael, you said before about pliables being like the new cafes or the Starbucks, you both said it. And it's true. and i want to I want to bring that back somehow some way. But we might have to just evolve into what this pandemic's brought for us.
3: Yep. You guys seem to have a sense of where the future of food is going to be um, and pliable seems to be a glimpse into a crystal ball of the food of our future. Whether it's superfoods, whether it's the kind of holistic, healthy, kind of uh, bright, delicious food that you make. Um, talk a little bit about the food at a pliable restaurant and what it is and what's this what's the flavor philosophy you guys have?
1: Addie, you want to take that? Yeah. Or I, I mean yeah. I can. Basically,
4: we serve um, a lot of super fruits so we talk about acai is our main thing acai is a berry from brazil it kind of tastes like a cocoa berry um it's really light and refreshing it's delicious um another product we serve is pitaya, which is um a pink dragon fruit from nicaragua um it sort of has seeds like a kiwi to kind of taste mild um, oh, get- oh is that one of your bowls i love it yeah there yeah it um, that's pitaya.
3: Oh, yeah. wow. What is all that beautiful magenta color? Is that the acai? That's the bataya. So, so that's ta- the
1: natural, that is
3: the actual natural color of the bataya fruit from Nicaragua. So talk about what that bowl in front of you, I mean, that there's a pliable for everybody. What's in yeah, that? Yeah. Talk us through it. What are the layers?
1: Uh, so the layers, you've
3: got, we always put granola on the bottom
1: of our bowl, which our granola is absolutely amazing. Um, Then we've got our base, which we've got five different bases, coconut, taya, acai, banana. um, And I'm missing one other one, Abby, which which was the one I'm missing right now. Green. And the green bowl, which has kale in it. And then we usually, you know, the cool thing about pliables is, I mean, we've got our set menu where any, you know, I think we've got it close to 40 bowls right now where they're set menu items, but a lot, we allow any one of our customers to modify any one of the bowls. Some people don't like coconut flakes. Some people don't like bananas. So you can always modify your bowl of pliables. Um, I would say our number one selling bowl, like Abby said before, is is the acai hands down. It it is absolutely the most amazing fruit. So it's Pattaya, but
3: acai is my. Rob, Rob, is that base? Is that like a creamy yogurty base, or is it what? What is the what is the agent that sort of makes that all blend like that?
1: It's just the fruit, and I can't tell you guys the secret behind pliables how we get that consistency. If I did, wow, okay, (laughs) I love it. No, it really, it. it really is just it's fruit. We put coconut milk in it. Yeah, um, we blend it up. And a big thing for us at Flyables is consistency, you know, giving yeah. the best quality product to every single customer. I mean, it's a frozen product. It, it you know, it's sensitive to different temperatures out there. So that's something we heavily focus on.
3: I love that. You guys, this is amazing. I, I want to talk a little bit uh, about the future of Flyables. I know that you guys have a, a bunch of restaurants ready to, to open up. And then the pandemic hit. Talk about that. And then what tips do you have for small businesses surviving this?
1: See the silver lining in everything. I mean, that's it's awoken me up in the past 45 days. There is just a silver lining behind everything. Um, what i noticed I've got two brothers with families, nephews, nieces. Abby has nephews, uh, nieces. And what I saw through the pandemic was families actually coming together every single night and eating dinner with each other for the first time in. How long, 15 years? I mean, usually I see my nephews playing video games during school, and it was just cool to see yeah. them on Facebook and FaceTiming them. And for Pliables, I, we, we kind of looked at that, and, I, and then, you know, we were saying before how we're a cafe, I always see families coming into Pliables. I see a dad coming in with their daughter. I see the mom with the son and daughter coming in. And this was, you know, a, a silver lining for us was, let's focus on the families this entire pandemic. And I think that's going to, you know, carry on for the rest of the life for Pliables. Yeah, we we love Pliables. Want-
4: We've launched actually a family pack that people can order and make pliables at home with their families. I know everybody's kind of looking for ways to occupy their families right now and spend time together. So they can order packs and um, we sort of supply them with faces and tops and granolas and they can have a little activity to do together, which is beautiful. Cool. We love that. Yeah, it's available on the website. It's awesome. Yeah, it's talk really cool. About, talk about
3: the heroes in your communities that pliables is, uh, is recognizing.
1: Um. Countless heroes, I mean, in every genre and every aspect. I mean, that's something during our weekly meetings that we talked about. I mean, who do you define as a hero right now? You've got the frontline workers, which we've all seen on TV. We've got EMS, firefighters. You've got our employees, our own employees being heroes, our franchisees that are going to the stores, grocery store workers. I mean, the heroes are just surrounding us in yeah. this entire pandemic. Even the people that are affected the most by it, people that are at high risk and are stuck at their house, you know, the elderly. And we recognized that. So every week we kind of switched it up on who we were going to support throughout this pandemic. Um, So that that was important to us. I mean, heroes, they came out from, you know, they came out of everywhere in this entire pandemic. And that was pretty cool to see as well.
4: We created um, a little thing that we did just for pliable, so people can go online and donate through both these at different stores or through our website and they could donate bowls. And then we were bringing bowls to hospitals, EMS, police everybody and just kind sort of doing our part, you know, doing anything we could to kind of fuel the front line and say, thank you. Um, if there was something you
3: wanted to share with people about the spirit of the surf culture that you can bring to everybody that's joining us today, that they can learn um, about how surf culture is helping you guys get through this
1: um enjoy life every day is a wave whether they're big or small you you you, you know surfing whether you're a professional you're an amateur you're gonna fall no matter what and the cool thing about surfing is you can get right back up and go catch another wave and really not get that hurt I mean you could get hurt but for the most part I mean that's kind of the parallelism that I can put with surfing and you know pliables. what we've gone through is just it's, it's another wave another day
4: I mean, the community aspect of it everybody just coming together you know especially within the surf community yeah definitely um, you guys, where are your restaurants located? Where can people
3: learn more about pliables?
1: Um, Abby runs the Instagram. I mean, we're always updating on Instagram where our new brand openings are. Um, we're expanding across the country in the next, you know, obviously we're a little slowed down because of the pandemic right now, but the next year we plan on being in Colorado, Texas. We're going west, we're in Louisiana right now, all the way up as far as Massachusetts. Um, so just stay tuned on our Instagram, go to our website. We're constantly updating that when our new stores are coming as well. And, you know, keep following us and see where the excitement goes.
0: This is how big, wait, how big is each location? They
1: vary. I mean, we always go through this with landlords, but to short it, we anywhere from 500 square feet, we go up to
0: 3000 square feet. It all depends wow. on the situation. And what if someone wants to get it involved? What's the point of entry financially?
1: Um, Financially, I mean, it's kind of just you know standard as far as like other franchisees go. We've got a uh, standard franchise fee, which is around thirty-five thousand dollars, royalties per month. Um, the support that we give our franchisees is probably you know unparalleled to what other um, franchisors do. If their franchisees, we're constantly engaged with them. We're constantly supporting them. We've got a great team. So, you know, the, the financial aspect I, that's important, but for us, it's more about the support that we get. Everybody.
0: Yeah, of course. No, no. But there's a lot of people right now, especially that are going to lose their don't have jobs or they may eventually have a little savings and things are going to get normal. They want to go into their own business. Right. right.
1: We are seeing that. You're right. I mean, the past week, we've gotten a lot of franchise requests. And that's interesting that you said that we saw in the beginning of the pandemic, you know, us going down, we get close to 100 franchise requests a week before the pandemic. And we don't solicit that. We don't go and Post, you know franchise with us now we have not done that one time it's all just natural franchises coming to us right. pandemic hit we went down and then it's, the past couple of weeks you're right after the you know we started seeing the light at the end of the tunnel we're getting a lot of franchise requests now with people saying i want to invest in something a little different
0: well it's going to happen and rob just so you know where's my there it is jennifer can you believe there it it is. In the book, Rob? Rob, you can walk into any Barnes and Noble or go to Amazon.com and find my book, Food and Beverage Magazine's Guide to Restaurants, in July, starting July first. And a lot of people, obviously, can look at pliables and get involved because we talk about franchising. We talk about great stuff like what you're doing. Awesome. And uh, you you know, it lets people know, hey, do you really want to be in this industry? Right, like the first half the book is, can do you really want to wash dishes and scrub grills? And do floors, <laughs> right? Or do you already? Or is it that you just want to, have, you know, be the host and have everyone love you and come to your restaurant? Because if that's the case, don't open it. Yeah. yeah so there's, exactly. you know, it's a lot of hours. It's a lot of work for success. And you guys obviously put out. Now, what's your relationship with each other? Were you guys? Are you guys together? Were you to, like? How did this? We want to know everything, Jennifer. <laughs> i I'm going to get Maury Povich in this right now, Jen. Go ahead. Know, we
1: we we were together. Uh, that's how we started dating. We actually met surfing in Belmar. Um, Abby worked at DJ's, the local bar, which you're from Jersey. You know what DJ's is. I was selling medical equipment. And, um, you know, we, we just we, we parted ways, but we're still great partners. She focuses on the marketing of pliables. I do more of the back-end operations of business. And it's just a great marriage together as far as the business goes. Oh, you said the
0: word marriage, Rob. That's bizarre. Right? I know. That was, right? little, that was a little a foofah, right? You can't put those two together. To so time. obviously, Jennifer, I just want to say from the way Rob <laughs> described that, she broke up with him. <laughs> you gotta you gotta call me on air like that, huh?
3: <laughs> you, know, That's- you know, Michael, if you start talking like that, people are gonna think we're still married.
0: Oh yeah, could you imagine? My wife wishes at the tables. You- the tables. <laughs> My wife wishes Jennifer and I were married, believe. You never know, have good-
3: his wife. He has a gorgeous talented his wife is one of the most acclaimed painters and artists in the world today. He has amazing oh, wow. shows that sell out. Hey, nah. you guys have- we were talking kind of do you have any
4: pliables in Los Angeles? No, we don't. Yeah. Not yet. Right.
3: Not
1: not yet. I've got a few friends that live out there that, you know, that's the thing, Abby and I get requests every day and they're like, if there's any sector of this country that's unopened with us, today, they're like, you need to put a pliables here. And that's the cool right. thing for us as we expand. We've got a lot of good options. It's just taking it at our pace and figuring out the most important part is the franchise or the partner, and then the location. I think for us is secondary. It's always the franchise or first. Mm-hmm.
3: So, what's the what's the pairing that goes with an acai bowl, a pliable? What
4: kind of drink, what kind of beverage do you marry up with the bowl itself? I think like an iced coffee is so delicious with a bowl. Um, nice. But. A juice, a smoothie, water, mm-hmm.
1: wine, beer. It doesn't really matter. Anything, anything you guys choose to drink with it.
4: Awesome.
3: Well, you guys, thanks an awful lot for being here with us today. We're psyched to have you. It's May Day, like that really, that launch of the warm, beautiful part of the spring. And uh, what better way to mark the occasion than to have our friends that bring up bright, colorful, gorgeous, nutritious bowls of food called pliables and introduce them to our audience.
0: Cool. Thank you guys. Thanks. All right, so much, guys.
3: Thank, you, thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, bye-bye. All right, Jennifer, so, Michael, we, that we've right-
0: got the lodge. We've got the lodge coming on right now.
3: I know, but I, I have to tell you that that this that this show today is all about honoring the heroes who are on the front lines of the food and beverage world as much as on the front lines of the healthcare crisis and keeping our economies and, you know, Goods and services flowing. But I think one of the people we've come to realize is a superhero that we didn't really think about in this way the same way before the crisis is mm-hmm. the farmer. And in our next segment, you know, we're going to celebrate the chef and the farmer. You, we talked about marriage in that first segment with uh, Abby and Rob, and even though they're, they? they, they've got, they've got a, a beautiful uh, marriage in business. But in in most great restaurants, the marriage is the marriage between the chef and the farmer.
0: Oh yes, well, we know that. Yes, I
3: almost want to change the name of the magazine to F F and B, the you know farm food and beverage.
0: Well, I'm glad you don't have the decision making power to do that because <laughs> <laughs> now they were just on Jennifer. Now we lost the the lodge. I know. At
3: so we're gonna we're gonna uh, we're gonna. Uh, uh,
0: they're back Thompson. on right now. Oh, they're back off right now.
3: Josh Thompson.
0: Which okay. is bizarre to me because I had a very close friend named Josh Thompson. Was he a chef? He's a chef and he actually worked. He was the opening chef under Sam Hazen at Al, right, in, in Las Vegas. He then left there and went to work with Carrie Simon and Elizabeth Blau. Really? For many, many years. And I, when I got the email, I was like, "What? yes, absolutely. Please tell Chef that we would love to have him on thinking that he wouldn't even know it was us and we would be able to mess with him. And then it turns out that I was messed with. It's a different guy. Gotcha. <laughs> hey, um, different guy. I want
3: to ask you how important, like when we talk about farmers and chefs, we know Las Vegas is loaded with talented chefs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and great chefs at the highest level demand world-class ingredients. Are there farms in Las Vegas? Are there farmers? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, my God. There's tomato. uh, uh, They make those Campari tomatoes. Winsett Farms has a huge thing out here. Um, Wait a minute. I'm just trying to look on my emails to make sure. Because I see them popping in and popping out. Wi-Fi. Okay. Well, I'm sure they're fine. I don't know if Wi-Fi may not be good for them. I mean, we are ready to, you know, we're, we're ready, ready to go. Now, yeah, what happened know. with Harlem Shakes? were they coming on today? We haven't. Yeah,
3: heard? we're waiting for uh, Jelena from Harlem Shakes. The founder of Harlem Shakes is going to be with us today, too.
0: And you gave you her the her? link. What's that? You did give her the correct link. You gave her the link, oh, right? God,
3: everybody's got the links they need. I've sent them a third time to everybody, but we're good.
0: Well, my God, I know it's. Oh, here we go. Jelena, 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 Jelena. Where is Jelena? Interesting. So. Um, Tell us more, Jennifer. So we're hearing a lot of fun stuff. Things are going to be opening up soon.
3: Tell me about farmers in Las Vegas.
0: Farmers in, La- I don't know a lot of, far- well, now everybody wants to be farming with the, you know what, with the marijuana. Yeah. And yeah, you know, that's, look, we just, we're getting late, late entries about pliables. Look at this. people are still, they want pliables. I they know. want more pliables.
3: They look really good.
0: I know. They look delicious. Well, you know, we oh, have that. God. Do you have Do that?
3: Do you know what I had today? What? I had hey. there they are. Yeah.
2: Are we joining? Ah, them? Hey.
3: hey, they're the guys.
2: We're not the IT department,
5: <laughs> so
3: I love it. The of Woodlock is here joining us, executive right. Josh Thompson. And I've only had you described as my incredible pharmacist. <laughs> the pharmacist. I
5: very- love that yeah so I,
3: I know, know which one of you is which. Welcome to Food oh, magazine live.
0: Thank you. Hello guys Michael hey guys.
3: So who do we have uh with the hat on there
0: that's I'm Josh.
3: Hey, chef. How are you? Thanks Good for coming That's
0: chef
5: and, Josh.
3: and I see you've got your mask just below your face. thank you
5: yeah we we uh, we operate we walk around the building we you know we keep our masks on some uh, safe distancing, trying to keep all the pieces in place.
3: Here, I, I got mine. I, I'm going to leave it off because you can't hear a word I say with I it. I
5: know. We agree.
3: And uh, Derek.
2: Hi there. How are you, Jennifer?
3: You know, I got to tell you, you are the first pharmacist I've ever met. <laughs>
2: <That> <laughs> I that. Listen, I,
3: I love. Oh, there it is. There <laughs> it is. Dude, talk to me about how you became a pharmacist and where that idea and that name and that concept come from and yeah. how pivotal it is To have a chef that you're working with that gets that they're not going to the grocery store, they're going to a pharmacist and what it means on the on the on the plate as well as in in the garden beds.
2: So, yeah, the pharmacist, uh, I can't take credit for that. That was uh, our good friend, Brooke, uh, over in our PR department. But I studied culinary nutrition and dietetics. And um, I just found that if you need if you need healthy people, you're going to have healthy food. And if you need healthy food, you're going to have to have healthy soil. So I wanted to uh, go back to the ground.
3: and people, uh, Derek, stop for a second and tell us. People don't understand that food can come from any number of places, but soil, healthy soil and non-healthy soil really is the thing where it all makes a difference. Talk to us a little bit about the dirt, because I don't think people understand there's such a thing as healthy dirt.
0: That's The movie, the movie or the book, Jennifer? The movie or the book, The Dirt? Have you guys guys seen that movie or read that book? Yes.
2: Yes. Yeah, no, dirt has a dirty name, right? You know, dirt is the stuff that you track into your house uh, on accident, right? But uh, soil, soil is, is living. It's an organism in in its own right. And, um, and like I said, you cannot have healthy food without healthy soil and you will not have healthy people without that healthy food. So uh, it, it really comes down to biology. I was, um, studying that culinary nutrition program really, um, took a liking to, to biology. Of course, in nutrition, we're learning about all the, uh, the microbes that are, uh, you know, the dangerous ones that, the, you know, that, that you have to watch out for in food service. But, um, I mean, there's, there's so much life going on within the soil if you give it the opportunity. So, um, you know, we're soil builders. We're not, you know, we don't look to grow, good food, we just look to have healthy soil, and then everything else above that, uh, you know, so it seems to just
5: work.
3: You guys, let's talk a little bit about the lodge and where it's located and its history. Chef, will you give that one a crack?
5: Yeah, sure thing. Um, we're located in uh, northeastern Pennsylvania up on the New York border. Um, we're about 12 plus years into it, and you know, the, the lodge is uh, offering a lot of really good things. We have uh, 500 plus acres of like really nice hiking trails, outdoor uh, activities. And, you know, Derek and I are a big part of it. We offer uh, garden dinners, which helps keep the the guests outdoors. And we offer a lot of outdoor activities and we're glad to be a part of it.
3: Chef, will you talk a little bit about your food philosophy and the, the philosophy of the menus you developed as executive chef at the lodge?
5: Uh, Derek and I are a huge part of it. We worked hand in hand together with it, and uh, Derek, uh, we we work seasonally. Derek asks what we want to grow and what we're growing, and that's how, we create our menus based off seasonal and availability and what's what he he has to offer. And he can probably chime in a little bit and talk about that.
2: You know, we we speak the same language. We got a professional chef who's also an avid forager and gardener himself, and. Uh, as a professional, I could say a professional farmer uh, who also likes to cook and forage myself. Uh, it, we 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 build that bridge in 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 the past. I feel like the biggest issues food and beverage, or sorry, uh, the farm to table movement has is uh, that communication between the farmer and the chef. And uh, you know we see each other every day, and we get to 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 iron out the wrinkles and um and 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 just get better and better every year. And, and right now our our um, our production is as high as it's ever been. And the the amount of that food getting onto the menu, putting it onto a pedestal and, and really displaying it. Uh, not just a carrot that gets lost into a soup, but, you know, a specialty carrot that's going to to be like almost a the main act on the plate. Yeah, the
3: star on the plate. Exactly. Could, no. could you talk to me about how much of the food that you serve at the lodge comes from your 500 acres.
2: Yeah, I mean, so out of that 500 acres, we only have a little sliver of, of that for the for Blackmore Farm, as it's called, uh, about two acres of orchard and an acre of, of vegetable gardening. Um, I would say, if, you know, it fluctuates throughout the seasons, but when we have um, our cool weather, that, that nice spring and fall outside of freezing temperatures, that's really our mo- most productive time. And you might find that 50, 60% of that salad bar is coming from us. Wow, and, and, and it just seems like more and more every year, we really try to focus in on culinary herbs and, and the salad greens and the things that are um, going to most positively affect food costs. Uh, not that anybody's ever asked us to do that, but it's, you know, our meat and potatoes is hanging out with the guests and, uh, and, and creating the experiences that um, we have, you know, that little niche of folks that have a garden space. They want to learn more, you know, that's kind of our main crop. Um, but all that, that, that production that comes into the restaurant is kind of the
5: icing on the cake.
3: Guys, will you talk a little bit about the pandemic and how it's affecting you?
5: It's slowed everyone down, you know, as you, as you can imagine, um, we're dealing with it as best as we can. We're coming up with some new ideas for the spring and the summer. Hopefully, you know, we're all back at it soon, but Derek and I are talking about some natural tonics and some like juicing that we can do. We have a lot of really nice, healthy plants in the garden. Uh, we're talking about using more uh, turmeric in the diet. And, you know, we grow plenty of kale. Um, one of my favorite crops is Platonia. I had to throw that out there. It's Miner's lettuce. So Derek grows plenty of that for us, which.
0: <laughs> Wait a, a minute, crop. not Platonia.
5: Not yeah, Claytonia.
0: The great, oh, uh, gosh.
5: As, a,
2: far, as a farmer, I loved it. When I found out, found my chef who loves Platonia, as a farmer, I know that in the five minutes, claytonia's probably got about four or five times the mass <laughs> of a lettuce green, a salad green, uh, you know, your typical lettuce leaf. And uh, so it's just, hey, I'm going to spend half the amount of time creating twice the amount of weight. Sure, we'll grow as much claytonia as you like.
3: And it's so nutrient dense. Oh,
5: That's right. That's so, right. It really is. But, you know, yeah. when you
3: talk about that, I just, I could literally, I kind of want to dive into my computer and go, let's taste all of this right now. (laughs) So many people have taken up securing their food source for the future by planting a little bit of food, even if it's just some herbs and a couple lettuces or a pepper or a tomato. Everyone, it seems, is paying attention in a new way to the security of their food source, right? Right. So when we look at places like the lodge at Woodlock, and we, we see how you have, just sort of naturally built in food security by, by producing so close and forging what's local. Talk to us about how anybody that's with us today, whether they're a restaurateur in the business or even a mom or pop, any of us can do the things you're doing to, in their own areas, do something to do more of this kind of, um, Model that you guys are. Living yeah, on. no, you hit it right on the head.
2: I mean, just anything, right? Any any little something. You, if you just have a balcony, uh, if you just have a windowsill, I mean, that that's a garden space. So uh, you know, look at what you're using as as far as your favorite culinary herb, or um, if you can supplement your salad greens. I mean, you're just never going to get anything as fresh from the grocery store as you can right off uh, out of your own space. Um, so I feel like it's more important than ever to 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 try to be more sustaining and, and, and self sustaining and, and try to to produce some of that food for yourself
3: right. at the
2: same time and and Josh has led the, uh, led the way here with our local farmers. Um, you know we might have to go to our job for eight or nine hours a day and come back to our garden. There's some people whose their job is to grow food and and, right. and on a small scale, those are the folks that we need to be supporting at, at this point. Uh, because they're right down the street. It doesn't matter if 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 a food chain collapses uh, in, in the broad scale, the global scale, you'll still have food uh, nearby here. so and and for the past couple of years, um, between a few different co-ops that we've had pop up uh, in in the area, the lodge has really led the way as far as getting them from their their baby steps into um, into full fledged purveyors and And it just helps out that that small farmer. So, um, do as much as you can for yourself, but then also know there's some people who can do it a lot, dedicate a lot more time than you can and support them as well.
3: Um, guys, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'm going to, I'm going to throw an idea out. Oh, look at that. (laughs) We love it. What is that?
5: So we got Claytonia there. That's that big, uh, almost almost
2: looks like a big lily pad. It's like
5: cucumbers in there and Mm a little shaved, um, shallot or some kind of what do you think? Onion or yeah, heat.
0: red onion, cucumber, red onion. Yeah. yeah, I just I just wanted the world to know what a Claytonia was, Jennifer. Oh, it's it's now, now before you go on, Jennifer, I don't know if Chef and, and if the farm assist knows this, but Jennifer has one of these. Are you familiar with this?
5: Oh yeah, James, I, I've been at the James Spirit House several times.
0: Well, Jennifer, you know, she's honored by having one of these awards. So the way you speak, she completely understands. Mm. Completely understand.
3: He's trying to tease that you and I are getting excited about like all this food nerd talk.
0: You guys are getting excited about that.
3: Yeah, and that like,
0: means you. You usually have one of those when you start yeah, talking yeah, about yeah. that. <laughs> well,
3: that—that's—that's that's true <laughs> food porn for the food nerd.
0: That's
5: right.
2: Mouth watering. Yeah, go, right.
3: You guys, I'm going to go and grab just off camera. I've got some things that I'm growing that I wanted to show you. But one of the things I was going to ask you, will you come back and do a live workshop with us to teach people at home how to take the food scraps that most of us throw away and how just with a little dish of water, we can bring them back to life? Things like the roots of our bok choy or the roots of our celery stalks. You know, you just take that bundle that most of us just chop off and throw in the in the in the trash We should throw it in the compost, but even if we don't throw it in the compost, we can actually grow something with it. Talk a little bit about how important that kind of nothing goes to waste mentality and how much food seed we actually have in our daily food lives.
2: Yeah, it's, um, you know, the biggest uh, issue within food service, I mean, generally uh, is food waste. And and over here we started the compost operation about five or six years ago, easily getting about 200, 250 pounds of food scraps a day uh delivered to the farm. And as the farmer, ah, I just love it. That's everybody else's excess coming to us. And we're uh we're in the in the green as far as as fertility goes. And um, you know, before it ever hits the compost pile, you gotta make sure that you've done everything you possibly can to uh you know, to get those nutrients out, to get those flavors out. Um, you know, the broth, the stock. You know, a vegetable stock, or, or adding those things to to a bone broth, like chicken broth, or something like that, uh, and then get it to the compost pile. There's always a step that you're you're probably omitting, and um, it, it's a nice um, it's a nice addition then to to the staple uh, ingredients in the refrigerator, having some broth in there. Uh, whether I said like whether it's vegetable broth or bone broth. Um, you know, just to add that extra flavor to a, a grain dish or a bean dish or something like that.
0: Now, now Chef Josh, is Derek a chef as well? Because he speaks. Uh, we,
5: we, cook all, we cook all the time together. Um, three nights a week, we actually cook in the garden. We have a community table, which this year, you know, we're going to change it up a little bit. We're going to be adding a little um, more intimate table setting. So um, we actually go out and do a harvest dinner. Derek and I will harvest the vegetables together. And uh, we come up with a menu a couple of days prior that we uh, offered to the guests. So Derek's an amazing cook. He's a graduate of uh, Johnson Wales. Oh, yay. Yeah,
3: campus, yeah. babe. Yeah.
5: I just fell in love with the soil. Yeah. That's all. I went to the, I, I graduated from the French culinary Institute in New York city. Oh, nice.
3: FCI so, baby.
5: Yeah. So um, we have a great connection. We work really well together and we come up with a really, a lot of cool ideas together, which is fantastic.
3: Can That's I tell exciting. you, I would love to come and stage with you.
2: Love it. Yeah, that'd be wonderful.
0: So, <laughs> can you weed? What's the... What, you know whoa, what? hey now. What's <laughs> the size of your kitchen? How many people you got working in the kitchen?
2: All right. Look. So what do we got here?
3: Russ? Uh, if you there, can we'll see, it, it says uh, this is my oh, cucumber. This, this is, cucumber. is everything. From, I do everything from seed that I do from seed. And then... Uh, Here's my other baby. Look at this. Can you see my spinach? Oh, nice. Right. <laughs> look, at, look at those hearty leaves. Like yeah. what people don't realize, you know, if you grow this yourself guys and you go out, I, I, I just got to tell you, Michael, this is a small leaf of spinach that I've grown from seed and it is so incredibly sweet. And is the quintessence of what spinach is supposed to taste like. But most of us don't know that because we get these bags of what they call quote-unquote baby spinach. Big, giant bags of it at grocery stores. I'm happy to have people eat that. I think, you know, good for you, better than eating chips. But when you taste this, you can easily become addicted to how sweet and delicious the natural sweetness of the spinach the flavor mm-hmm. of it, until you start to taste these things and have your eyes opened and your mind blown, you will know. You won't even know what you've been missing.
0: That's right. And it's I cool. call that this. I, cool. cool. I call that the James Beard moment, Jeff. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that
5: was Jennifer's James yeah. Beard yeah. moment. I feel it. I'm gonna when get, I'm get over and there. Get it's there.
3: But guys, talk about how easy it is, especially if you've got kids and you've got time right now no matter what season of the year it is where you live, how important and easy it is just in a, in a cup, in a, in a, in a, in a plastic cup, you can, you can grow some seeds and start things. Talk about how important that is to understanding the world of food.
2: Yeah. I mean, starting a seed is, is typically the beginning of, of a journey. Uh, and the per- I re- still remember the first seed I ever started. Uh, I I'm, I'm about two generations removed from agriculture. And um, something just clicks, and, and the potential that lies in that seed. I mean, uh, a spinach seed is actually quite large compared to spinach when you think of, you know, say, a tree, uh, say, a redwood seed or something that turns into this gigantic tree. So think about that potential that lay, lies in there. Um, it's all up to, to you and and the environment that you put that seed in, uh, of how tasty it gets, how big it gets and um, you know, that's, that's what really, uh, what, what draws me to that, you know, soil biology and, and, and just, you know, working with flavors like Josh and I do, uh, there's some times of the day that are better to harvest those, those kale leaves. And if we get a nice frosty night, uh, you know, 36 degrees, I'm going to come right at that kale the next morning and get it right to Josh, uh, because the sugars are concentrated and it's gonna taste way different, you know, six, seven hours later at, at one o'clock in the afternoon. Um, so just uh yeah, it's it's starting that seed is uh is gonna get you uh, hooked. I mean it's 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 it's
5: addicting for sure.
3: Chef Josh, I wanna ask you, what's your philosophy of flavor?
5: Flavor? I'm I'm always about like like I said earlier, you know, we're about working with uh, seasons, but I like to hit all the you know, all the sense points and, you know, working with the umami flavors is really important in these days and bringing people back to that root. Um, I want to hit the sour notes, the sweet notes, the salty notes, and it kind of helps bring the whole dish together. And everything really needs a little bit of fat to bind everything as well. So, you know, getting flavor, you need to combine all the key elements.
3: You know, one of the things when I think about Pennsylvania, I think about mushrooms.
5: Oh,
3: when we, auto, when <laughs> we automatically you're think of person, people, a lot of people will think morels in the Pacific Northwest. Right. But uh, I know you guys uh, in Pennsylvania and in the in that middle area where there's a little bit of mountain going right. on, uh, a little bit of woodsiness. Uh, if you're talking hiking trails, you're talking about perfect mushroom bill. And this time of year is actually a great time of year for mushrooms. Talk a little bit about that.
5: I'm, I'm actually like when you when you said that i'm coming out of my skin right now it's just like crazy <laughs> because i've been waiting for weeks and i'm waiting for the right weather and now like we're getting this ton of rain and the other day i walked down to the garden and i see Derek and his crew composting and uh we're out there like spreading some mulch and i was like he better not be spreading on my my spots <laughs> at the moment <laughs> so it's it's really funny that you brought that up but we have some uh we have some great spots and hopefully uh Derek hasn't seen me in those spots yet. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> like a ninja out there.
3: Well, yeah. people, you know, it, it, it's like treasure hunting because Golden Delicious is hiding in plain sight. True treasure hides in plain sight.
0: Right. But
3: foraging, one of the last things we want to make sure we talked to you about is foraging because people all over the country have different things based on where they live. Right. So you can forage citrus in the desert Southwest where we are right this second there are oranges lemons limes and grapefruits literally you can walk down the street and there are trees and you can just pick it and and enjoy it the kumquats are just insanely sweet Uh, right now like literally i walk across the street and i grab a kumquat and i'm like excited talk about foraging and the ideas of foraging and the principles that you can share with our audience to go do a little safe foraging where we are
5: safe foraging in pennsylvania you really have to know your. need to know your plants a little bit, though. Um, you know, I've been picking some uh, wild daisy. I pick oyster mushrooms. I pick chanterelle. All, all these are uh, seasonal based, but, you know, right now we're in the season where you can go out and pick some uh, wild wa- watercress, and morels will be popping here in the next week or two, just seeing that the weather patterns that we're getting. But uh, ramps are a big one, and uh, morels for the springtime. Getting more into the summertime and the fall, we'll start seeing some uh, chicken in the woods and hen in the woods, uh, maitake, which you know easily. I, I I like to go out and harvest a couple hundred pounds myself.
3: Wow! Then do you dry them?
5: Uh, we we use them fresh. We incorporate them in all kinds of dishes and broths and everything. And like Derek said, you know bone broths are you know not really a thing of the past, but it's going to be a thing right now. You know it's going to be a nice curing agent. And, Giving people something uh, nutritious to go back in their body. That's awesome.
3: And to my to my first pharmacist, Derek, I, I gotta turn to you and, and say, is the rhubarb coming up yet?
2: Uh, oh yes, <laughs> one of my favorite questions <laughs> of April. Uh, but I guess now we're May. But yes, uh, it's it's just starting to um, to really stem up, and and we'll be looking for our first. Nice. Yeah. Here. You know, spring, a- spring started early over here in the yeah. northeast uh and then and then old man Winter stepped in uh for the last two or three weeks and made sure that uh he was still recognized and uh so it slowed down things a little bit, but it looks like smooth sailing from here on out
3: uh I love rhubarb. I cook it, and I like that'll be my lunch some days i just if if I have access to fresh rhubarb, I'm so happy yeah, same here. What, do you, what do you
0: make with it Jennifer? What do you make with rhubarb? Honestly, I, mean, had rhubarb honestly,
3: pot. I, I take a small pot and I will uh, clean and uh, chop up some uh, rhubarb just as it comes out of the garden. I'll cover it with just a little bit of water, and I'll put in maybe one spoonful of sugar, and I'll cook it down. And that, that beautiful, brilliant bitterness of the rhubarb that relinquishes its tenseness to the suppleness of the sweetness that it really naturally marries with, to me, it's when rhubarb is its most glorious. And it doesn't need anything else, although I am guilty of occasionally dropping a scoop of um, cottage cheese, this classic plain-flavored cottage cheese on it. And that cottage cheese-rhubarb combo platter, for me, it's swoon-worthy.
0: Never feel guilty, Jennifer. (laughs)
3: That's how I was raised.
0: And by the way, that rant was brought to you by the James (laughs) Beer. Do you boom, 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 boom. Do you see how she gets? It's the craziest thing. I
3: I know. I'm like, but you, you put the three of us together and it's like, I feel like, you know, these these are my these are my people.
2: That's right.
3: Anyway, so the same uh, I'll, I'll chef bump you and say in the time <laughs> of having to keep distance, but uh, I can't thank you enough for being here. Have you got a okay. bet that you think, uh, if we if we are all on track to come out of this, what's coming up for the summer months?
2: You know, we just planted today in our new greenhouses, uh, tomatoes, peppers in one tunnel, cucumbers and melons in the other, and um, that. Those are brand new high tunnels that have uh, alleviated a lot of space for for inside the the gar- the outside garden, the exposed garden to our lettuce, greens and radishes, turnips and all that salad stuff that we like to do. Um, gosh, I think we're going to have a little bit more of our husk cherries or our ground cherries. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, right now it's uh, just trying to keep up with all those those wild edibles that uh, Josh had mentioned. Uh, have you grown any
3: tapsoids? Yeah
2: tatsoi we yeah. uh, we're doing a bok choy uh a purple bok choy we have a joke around here if it comes in purple we're going to uh we're going to try to grow it and uh, the
3: tatsoi the green the peppery green tatsoi
2: so we have a baby tatsoi within our salad mix um and and you know the uh Hansai thai, bok choy all those Asian cabbage greens uh, we, we grow quite a bit of, they're cool loving and in, in Northeast Pennsylvania, we have quite a bit. And,
3: and I don't know that you uh, heard the question when I asked him which, which, uh, Johnson and Wales campus did you graduate from?
2: Providence, Rhode
3: Island. Nice. You know, I'm a native New Englander. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I love that school. I love that <laughs> campus. Way to go. Way
2: to go. Cool. Yeah. That's bomb.
3: <laughs> Up on Federal Hill.
2: There you go. That's right. I never got to dine there, but I heard it's great.
3: So, if there was one food from your region, the way that when we talk about New England or the coast in, you know, Westerly or Cape Cod, and we talk about things like lobster rolls and fried clam rolls, you kind of get a, a taste of something and know where you are. What's the taste that I would taste with you guys to get a sense of where you are? What does where you are taste like? What is there like a thing, like a signature thing?
2: I would, I would say, as far as our our average topsoil in this region, you're not going to uh, find a tastier garlic bulb than in Northeast Pennsylvania. It's really? a, a shallow rooted plant, which is great for us because we don't have a lot of topsoil thanks to the last ice age, but. Um, it, the farmers around here have spent at least the last ten years that I've been paying attention, really honing in on large clove garlic bulbs with tons and tons of flavor. Wow. Uh, you know, with that elephant garlic, those big giant cloves, you really, right. really lose flavor. We have really the combination of both. I mean, Josh can talk about as far as cuisine, but I would say as far as a crop, that would be our, our our staple
5: crop of the region. Yeah, potatoes are another big one up here too. A lot of people, have a lot of, a lot of uh, local farmers. You know, they do really well with potatoes and, um, what's John ground right now too? those Yakun? Yeah. yeah. Yacon or Ye- or Yacons from South America, I guess, from uh, a couple of the local farmers are growing those and they're really, uh, doing really well with the soil. Nice. But, like I, I would say being up here and like, kind of like semi in the mountains a little bit where like we do like trout sells well. And that's kind of a big thing up this way. A lot of people go out trout fishing. Um, the shad are running up, up the Delaware river right now. Oh,
3: so nice. you do a shad row? Yeah,
5: yeah. So you can do nice shad row and, uh, that sort of thing. And that's, yeah, that's so that's old school.
3: That's so old school.
5: I know it is totally old school, but, um,
3: I love it. You know,
5: both Derek and I, you know, we're really big in fermenting and, uh, pickling. Yeah. So we, we, our focus is working with the garden, keeping things fresh, um, and the Lodge at Woodlock we're all about choices. So you don't have to come here and worry about it. you can't get a glass of wine. We serve wine, we serve craft cocktails, we have a craft beer program. And you know, we're a big part of it. So we uh Derek grows a lot of the herbs and stuff that we put in our cocktails, which is really nice.
3: Can do you promise you'll come back and visit with us again? It's been really fun having you here oh, with anytime. us. Thank you sir. We love it.
5: Thank
0: Michael, you guys.
3: This is why I love this business. So. <laughs>
0: It so is. So yeah. Why? For guys like that?
3: You Those know, guys, people like that who are so passionate where it is, it is like, it's exciting to be around them. It's exciting to hear what they're doing when they, they show you what they're making and they, they, they tell you about why they do what they do to me. There's nothing better.
0: I know you love that. I love the passion in your eye. I mean, that's a, This is the funniest thing. I mean, for 20 years, we've been friends, Jennifer, from our Long first time. competitions. Long time. And you're every time we go to a food competition, I'm like, okay, 10, 9, 8. And you have to go in depth to do it. And you're like, don't no, just give it a 10. I mean, these are the days, right? I so know. I've learned a lot from you. And it's nice that this audience can learn a lot, right? And guys like that were just going from the lodge. I mean, my God. This is the, the, the look at the farmer says, Derek, like this kid is, has been to um, culinary school. And now he's out that. there. I Well, I'm just talking about, he's a farmer. He's out there working in the gardens. At least chef Josh is out there, you know, he's cooking and whatever, but you could see where it takes that kind of a commitment and really bring them together. Right. For this cuisine. And it really turns farm to table into something called farm to table versus a restaurant opening up that says we're farm to table. Well, obviously, you know, you were, Lettuce, and now you're on the table. But this is truly farm table.
3: Michael, 50 right? years ago, if we go back to, let's just go to France. 50 years ago, you wouldn't have had to explain to anybody that the chef was getting in his ingredients that deserve to come from a farm, from a farm.
0: But what if you didn't speak French?
3: If you were in the states and you entered, so you're a- saying like
0: Paul Bocuse?
3: I'm, I'm I'm saying Danielle Ballou.
0: Beaucoup. Well, Danielle's not that. But what, what about, yeah, or yeah. right, even Julia Childs, even American stuff?
3: Yeah, but- It's I'm, very different. It's not just France. I'm just, the point I'm trying to make is anybody that had a great restaurant anywhere in the country that you would have had to drive in to visit, those, those wonderful regional restaurants that were just the, the anchors of a scene that people knew where they could have fine dining. Yes. no one ever questioned whether the chef was getting the ingredients seasonally and locally from the best no. that they could get you just assumed that that would happen
0: right even if you went to the waffle house
3: yeah but i'm not talking I mean, about I mean, that i'm talking about jennifer ref-
0: doesn't like the word i don't i understand what no, you're saying. it's true
3: Do you know that Think I, go about to it. Have, I go to waffle house regularly and you know why Outside the American South, it's one of the few places you can go to have somebody make grits for you.
0: You know why I go? I think the staff is real. They're real people. They're nice. You sit at that counter and you talk to them about their lives. And I'm like, this is an amazing. Any place I travel to, I go to a Waffle House and Kai and I will go in the middle of the night. What's that letter? C?
3: Right. What's the C word that we talk about all the time that you're describing? Conviviality. That's I why know. I ready.
0: wake up in the morning and I think to myself, <laughs> conviviality.
3: <laughs> Listen, it's what we miss right now from being quarantined. It's what we miss by sheltering in place. What we miss is that energy and joy of breaking bread and sharing food with people in a place together. Look, there's a reason. We could use DoorDash or or uber eats or any of those services to have restaurant food brought from our favorite restaurants right and it would taste good but mm-hmm. that's not what we we can still get that food you know we're still hungry for something we're missing well, something what we're missing is the conviviality
0: well think about it and, and it's like even when i just you know i just finished the book obviously we, we know not we to talk about the book as a, you know it's funny but a lot of the, the beginning of it and the and and the beginning, you talk about why the restaurant business, right? What is it? And that, your big C word, the conviviality, is really a part of why people get into that, right? Yeah, it's yeah. it's why I started the magazine, right? I could sit here and tell you the great businesses and businessmen, right, that owned restaurants and the reason we would go and how fun it was. Yeah. <laughs> Guys like Duke Zebert in, in Washington, D.C., right, where Larry King would always go. and A friend of mine, Chuck Rossler, with this celebrity deli and these were like iconic places in the Washington DC area where I grew up and you would go in the Palm, right? The national chain, the Palm, I would go to the Palm because Dutch was my waiter for all these years. And he would know what we wanted. And I wouldn't have to say anything. And he'd tear the, the things up in front of the uh, menus up in front of us, but you would go in because you would have an amazing experience. Right. And it was all part of this. Now, you know, obviously you go to the French friend or Danielle, but Danielle's great. You go to Danielle and if he's there, it's a marvelous experience, right? Yeah. Um, and the food's great, ghee, and all these guys. it's different. It's very different. So it's sort of, you know, what do you like, right? It's where you go, as to what you like and what you what you want out of it. I like to go to these places. The Palm now is becoming a little more corporate. It changed ownership. Very different, right? Palm Steakhouses, Italian right. Steakhouses. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how that conveys itself because you walk in and the feeling is different. They changed it. They they updated the walls. I mean, yeah, you've got your my pictures on the wall and everything, but it's, it, it used to look like, I almost want to say, a, it was all wood and it almost looked like an Irish pub. It was this great atmosphere. Right. Now it's a little more fine dining looking, but I also feel that that takes a little bit, you know, you don't hear the loud noises of the people, the rumblings, and the bumblings of, of everybody, right? So it's very different. and it, It's going to be interesting after this pandemic to see what restaurant genres truly survive, what people want to get back into. Do they want to go into a restaurant and have great food and be left alone? Just order and left alone? Or do they want this camaraderie, right? Do you want to go to the guy at the table next to you and look at those fries? What is in that potato? And then the other guy talks back and it's a whole big, right? Very different.
3: There are times when I want someone at the table next to me to ask what I'm having and, and I get to offer it to them and they taste it and they try it and then we talk about it. And then there are times when I don't want to have any of that happen because I got something going on with the person I that see. I want to really be focused
0: on. Ka- Kai and I went and we had dinner at the Versace Mansion. I think it was called Gianni's. Oh, that's, and right, that's right. And the chef was an amazing guy. He actually moved to Vegas and he, I think he got a job out here, but he was an amazing guy. They had, It was the most wonderful caviar service. The restaurant was exquisite. They gave us a private tour of Johnny Versace's mansion, rooms, and upstairs and everything. And it was beautiful. But during that dinner, that happened. The ladies next to us, the man, the husband and wife, the woman was a little freaky. They talked to us and it got a little bothersome after a minute, right? Um, but on the other side of the table, our, our table was the owner, and he owns about 15 hotels down in South Beach. And he was, we were talking to him too. Uh, beautiful, lovely man. And uh, he, I believe he owed Jordash at one time. Gene, like the phenomenal businessman. So, yeah, so we had our private time. And then Kai was like, okay, no, thank you very much. And then we continued our meal, but I do see what you're saying. It'll be interesting to see what comes out of this pandemic.
3: All right, Michael, what's the best thing you ate all week?
0: Oh my God, I've been cooking up a storm. I think I made I made crispy beef Szechuan lettuce cups for everybody the other night, okay. and it was it was yeah it was incredible. We I made uh, uh, chicken parmesan uh, eggplant parmesan where you fry the eggplant first. I use Swiss cheese instead of Munster cheese or Parmesan. I use Swiss cheese on it. It's delicious. So we've been cooking, 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 cooking. And the the, the little baby Chatty, all he wants is egg salad sandwiches. What about you? What about you?
3: Uh, I was given a big bag of gorgeous lemons this week. Yesterday, in fact. And I just looked at them and I had to make angel hair pasta. Mm. And so I made angel hair pasta with seasonal mushrooms. But it was a bright, light, ultra lemony sauce. And then I used the greens from the garden and uh, it was bright Parmesan cheese, a little good olive oil, a little bit of crushed red pepper, light, lemony, delicious.
0: Well, you know how to eat. I'll tell you that. You know. I don't. I don't All right, so so, so what do we got coming up on Monday? We'll see everybody on Monday. What do well, you
3: think? Well, yeah, about? you know, so Cinco de Mayo is a celebration that is a great excuse to go out and have enchiladas and tacos and margaritas. And so we actually have the winners of the World Margarita Championships with us on Monday. Doesn't fantastic. that sound exciting? I
0: fantastic. I can't and wait. And we
3: we've got a bunch of friends coming to visit us on Monday as we always do. You never know who's going to stop by. And you never know what's going to come out of our mouths because the environment is just, it's free. And I love that we're together and we're going to get through this together. And, you know, the food industry, the hospitality industry, it's a family of friends. And and during this pandemic, we need our friends more than ever. And we thank them all for coming and hanging out with us yes. and, and doing this with us.
0: All right. Thank you, Jennifer. So I will see you on Monday.
3: And you know what I have to say? One last thought. Mm-hmm when you get home tonight, oh wait, we're already home. Do me a favor, hug your kids and count your blessings.
0: Beautiful thing. Talk to you Monday. Thank you.